What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Security Squawk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Reginald Andre, Ryan O'Hara, and Randy Bryan. What's up, gentlemen? Welcome to another show. My, my ears are ringing, man. That, that guitar head is just really loud. <laughs> Turn your speakers down. I, I have to. I <laughs> So what's up, everyone? Welcome to the show where we bring you the latest on cybersecurity, help you try to educate yourself on what's happening out in the world. We bring you current events and education around how to protect yourself and your business. And we do that for a fee. And Randy is going to tell us what the fee is. All right. What's up, everybody? So we're so glad that you're watching the show today. And our show is free but it's free, like free beer. So it's something that has value. It's not like free, like, you know, I don't know something that's free that doesn't have value. But anyway, it's free as in free beer. And we do ask, uh, we put a lot of time into this show, a lot of prep, a lot of work, a lot, of, lot goes into this. We put our hearts and souls into this. And we just ask um, that you like it, um, that you comment wherever you see it, and that you share it with your friends and help us get the word out. That's, that's our fee for the show. That is the fee. So thank you, Randy. Guys, got a bunch of stuff happening in the world around data breaches and security. We're going to get into that today. First one up on the docket is NextGen, which is a hospital technology giant, uh, said it's responding to a cyber attack after a notorious ransomware group added the company to its list of victims. I've been following this a little bit, and um, <coughs> this actually appeared on the dark web before any it appeared anywhere else. Um, and researchers have been and reporters have been reaching out to NextGen to find out what's going on because hey, you're on you're on this dark website now, and they were kind of like, yeah, we don't know anything, but we've engage some cybersecurity uh, experts to help us out. So, Ryan, what's going on here over at NextGen? First off, I guess, how big are they? What do they do for hospitals? Let's kind of tackle that first, and then we'll get into what's happening, how this can impact their customers. Uh, let's see. Well, I had, the, I, I had it up in the reverse order, so... <laughs> Let me, let me start with what happened. Uh, we don't know what happened. There's very little information here. Um, so so they showed up on, on this site. Uh, looks like January 17th, they were uh, flagged as being uh, a target of this ransomware group. Um, and then uh, this particular article is from the 20th, um, where they responded saying that they immediately contained the threat, secured their network, and have returned to normal operations. Uh, they are currently doing a forensic review, and uh, to date, they have not uncovered any evidence of uh, access to or exfiltration of client data, uh, and then the privacy of their clients is is of the utmost importance to them. So um, being that it's a ransomware group, and then they, they say that they immediately contain the threat, um, <clears throat> kind of leaves more questions than answers. So like if it was a ransomware event, I don't think immediately would be the word I would use. Um, so it... it appears based on their response that, that that there may have been access but maybe it was it was flagged and caught in time uh, but there's really not a whole lot of information here um, in fact the 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 tweet um, is a, includes a screenshot of the um, of the dark website 
It does mm -hmm. have nine attachments. I don't know if that's sample data. Yeah. Um, and it looks like the screenshot is from the 17th, so about a week ago. Mm -hmm. um, the tweet's from like Thursday of last week. <clears throat> um, but yeah, there's probably my guess would be that they've they've put some data on their dark website to prove that they've been in there. And I'm going to chalk this up under uh, the first few days of a breach. Nothing right. to see here. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely see some more information here. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, we see that all the time, right? They don't know. So this is kind of the, the reaction that we get from, from them, I guess, is, is the way you say it. Um, gone the days are laying low. Um, they've already made this public, so next gen can't lay low anymore. They're going to have to be, be forward thinking and proactive going forward from here. Yeah, and they are a public company, so we're definitely going to eventually find out what happens. Yeah, so up on the screen there, we got uh, some of the, some of the screenshots that Randy was talking about on the Twitter site. Um, looks like they got a couple other companies up there, but on the seventeenth, nine attachments, and they got next gen. You can visit their dark website if you want to check this out on your own. Um, but there it is. So interestingly enough, this, uh, this company, just going into a little bit more detail about what they do, um, you know, they provide software that basically runs medical facilities and quite large ones. It's a multi-billion multi dollar uh, healthcare uh, software giant that produces elect electronic health record software and practice management systems for hundreds of the biggest hospitals and clinics in the US, UK, India, and Canada. Um, so we don't have any word. It doesn't seem like the systems are, are impacted or down. Yeah. Is that is that what you're seeing? That, that? That's what I would read from this response. But then again, this is their response. So whether, you know, how, how so and truthful that is <laughs> remains well here's here's what here's what immediately comes to my mind when i read something like this right is this smells like solar winds this smells like you know something along those lines could be in play here when you're talking about hackers that have access to so and what i mean by this is you know if we remember back what happened with solar winds they had access to one of their uh, developer partners networks and they were able to inject their own code into the yep. software. So when they pushed a legitimate update for the software, they had a backdoor to all these yep. company systems. Mm -hmm. And and this smells like it could potentially be a, a thing that could be down the road or could be happening right now where major hospitals as the, are the clients here of this of this company could potentially have a backdoor in the software that mm -hmm. they use to manage their business. That's what's in my mind is what's at stake here and what needs to be figured out fairly quickly is how long have they been in there and what did they do to our software while they were in there, if if anything at all. And that's yeah. what I think we need to hear from them is, you know, our software was not compromised in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and they didn't say anything about that. They just talked about the privacy of the client mm -hmm. data. So that could be true, and the other one, not, you know, still be an issue. So correct. So yeah. So I mean, bottom bottom line, we don't really know a whole lot, but 
Um, we do know that these records, if they get those records of people, they're extremely valuable on the dark web. Um, and if they were able to get a back door, that would give them access to millions, millions of records and new ones as they're added. Um, that would be um, also would be pretty devastating. So, yeah, it would. So, uh, moving right along, we have our friends over at T-Mobile who love to just be in the news about mm -hmm. cyber breaches and, and cyber attacks. Uh, the mobile giant is investigating another personal data hack, this time involving about 37 million customers. And it disclosed in a filing with the SEC uh, Commission on uh, last Thursday that it had discovered a cyber attack on January 5th, 2023, that exposed the personal information of tens of millions of T-Mobile customers. Although it tried to assure that this breach did not include the most sensitive types of information, that would put customer accounts and finances at risk. T-Mobile described the hack as a bad actor used a single application programming interface to obtain limited types of information on customer accounts, including names, billing addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, birthdays, account numbers, and some information about the types of plans customers are on telecommunications company described the leaked data as basic customer information along the lines of what is widely available in marketing databases or directories already. No passwords, payment card information, social security numbers, government ID numbers, or other financial account information were compromised. So that's- I love how each of these articles likes to provide that little spin. It's okay though. It wasn't the really important stuff. It's so, already out there anyway. Yeah. It doesn't, I it mean, doesn't make it any better, though. <laughs> Clean up your house. <laughs> so uh, <coughs> I got a thought on this, but I'm going to let you guys kind of share your thoughts. And then I got a couple questions for you guys around this. But, um, well, you know, oh, sorry. I mean, what's the issue here with T-Mobile? With I mean, this is quite a few... <laughs> Um, they, they need to make a T-shirt that says what up breaches on the back of it because that's what they're becoming known for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's getting I mean, got I mean, AT&T prides themselves on cybersecurity. I mean, I, I see them constantly named as one of the top cybersecurity companies um, in the world uh, on a consistent basis. You don't really see this kind of stuff going on over at AT&T. Um, well, and the, the funny part, this this article also talks about as part of their uh, $350 million settlement from their two, 2021 hack, they pledged to invest $150 million in cybersecurity infrastructure throughout 2022. Uh, here, here we are a few weeks into 2023. Clearly, that worked out real well for them. Yeah, and, and oh, go ahead. And I just Googled their advertising spend for 2021. They spent $2 billion in advertising in 2021. So it's, it's not a money issue. So... Disturbing, man. We're gonna we're we're gonna talk about this uh, a little bit deeper um, as we as we talk about a couple other things towards this, uh, the end of the show here. But in, in the article on MSN that we're reading here, I mean, one of the things that we talked about in the green room is just people not caring that their data is out there anymore. It seems to be that's the trend we're heading in. Um, and right in the article, it's saying, you know, assume your data is already out there. Even if your data wasn't among the 35 million exposed accounts, it is good practice 
to just assume that your data is already out there. Um, and they're just kind of conditioning people to just be like, yep, your data is out there. And, you know, just having your credit report out there and completely unlocked um, is no longer the way that we can operate anymore. Like people are going to have to literally start getting their credit locked, frozen, whatever you want to call it. And when they want to go apply for credit, they're, we're going to have to go through, through the process of unlocking it and making it available for lenders to then see and check. Um, and that's something new. It's not really something people have been taught to do. It's not something that's been talked about. But if we're going to kind of go into this direction of your data is going to be out there, it's on you to protect it. Um, I mean, do you guys agree with me? You think that's where we're heading? Because I, I, I think that's where it's going to be. And I think people are going to have to be taught, like, this is how your credit report works and you need to freeze it and lock it and, you know, have a service on top of it that doesn't allow, you know, lenders to or anybody access it unless you explicitly go in and unlock that file. Um, yeah, that, that's where it's, it's going to be like a zero trust for your, your social security and all your identity. Yeah, which, which is great in theory, but what we've learned through some of the other stuff that we've tried to, you know, inform people about is, is they have to actually take the action to do it. Correct. And that's that's right. going to be the thing. We, we can talk about that till we're blue in the face, but how many people are actually going to do it? Well, I mean, it's a, it's it's goes back to the whole, I mean, tr uh, technology's changing and, you know, people are just going to have to become more savvy. I mean, when phones first came out, you know, there wasn't such a thing as a as a prank call. You know, and then like, you know, 20 minutes later, figured out a prank call. The first person that got one probably fell for it. And, you know, they were really big back in the day when, you know, teenagers and stuff would do it like on The Simpsons. But, you know, you've become more more savvy. Well, now we're we're talking your data's out there. Um, you need to become more savvy. You don't you need to be, be sure you don't fall for stuff. You do need to do zero trust, like lock down your credit, things like that at the credit bureaus. Um, and people are going to have to be more sassy, more sassy. Uh, and they need to be more exposed uh, to it. But it's, a, it's a thing. I mean, not, not to jump ahead, but our, our next uh, our next article that we're going to talk about uh, involves a credential stuffing hack where they basically take you know information and credentials that are just sitting out on the dark web. Yep. And they ended up hitting thirty five thousand accounts. So there's that many people out there that are just like not even aware that this stuff is going on using the same passwords over and over again. So that that's the challenge. It, you know, it's one thing to say, here's what you can do to help help protect yourself. But how many people actually take those steps to do it? And even when they do take the steps, we have LastPass that got breached. Then we have Norden uh, LifeLock, which is has their own password management. They got breached last week. Yeah. And then people <laughs> just throw their arms up and say, whatever, it's going to happen. <laughs> So uh, T-Mobile customers, a couple of things, you know, be wary of phishing scams over the next few weeks um, and make sure you're just keeping your guard up, knowing that somebody could have some, you know, what I'm going to call it inside information, but more information than you would suspect, some, you know, a, a stranger or somebody you don't know to have, um, which could potentially lead to you getting tricked into clicking on a text, clicking on an email, clicking on something that you shouldn't, that leads to something worse than kind of what we're talking about today. Um, but one of the things I wanted to bring up to you guys around this and what came to my mind is 
um, you know, MFA is, is a major thing that's under attack. And I think a lot of people, you know, set up MFA through text messaging, right? And I just wonder, like, the data that got out, Mm-hmm. I just feel like that's enough data for somebody to call up a T-Mobile customer yep. service rep and trick them into, you know, sending them a new SIM card or, or doing a SIM swap or doing an eSIM um, over the phone. I don't know if that's possible on the T-Mobile network. I'm not a customer, but I know it is on the AT&T. Um, and I just, I just, I just look at that as a potential threat here for T-Mobile exactly. customers is that they could be, potentially a victim of a SIM swap, which will render their MFA useless. And we've, yep. we've seen a lot of historical attacks recently that have been targeting that that world. So yep. T-Mobile, we had the, the Twilio one not too long ago. So they're, they're really going after that text messaging platform uh, as, a, as a means of being able to you know do things like circumventing MFA. Right. Uh, so as Ryan uh, alluded to there a couple yep, minutes sorry. ago, his, uh, <laughs> PayPal, our friends over at PayPal, um, accounts breached in a large-scale credential stuffing attack. And essentially, um, this is not the fault of PayPal, um, but it was detected that about 35,000 users uh, over at PayPal um, were victims of credential stuffing, which basically means that these hackers got a dictionary of your your email address or your username and your password and ran that through paypal and i believe if i remember correctly i didn't read the article um today but i read it over the weekend that mfa was not turned on on these accounts and that allowed these attackers to get into these paypal accounts did i have that right I don't think it states that they were not on, but it does state that they advised users to activate it. So, which would, yeah, yeah, that's why I, I guess I inferred yeah. <laughs> that, you know, you're not getting in if two factors turned on mm-hmm. um, for in most cases. So, uh, anything, anything out of this other than they knew it happened and people need to change their passwords and enable MFA was anybody, did anybody, any money move as a result of these accounts being breached or Um, I don't, it shows that they had access to things. It doesn't say anything about that. They did offer um, uh, free of charge to your identity monitoring service, but it doesn't state anything as far as losses. Um, I hope we can we'll be able to stack these. Right? Uh, it, does, it does say that the notification claims that the attackers yeah. have not attempted or did not manage to perform any transactions mm-hmm. from the breach PayPal accounts. Yeah, it, it looks like they caught the, the unusual activity pretty quickly. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised, quite frankly, um, if these were like dead accounts where people just set them up and never really use them. Probably don't even have like a bank account really connected to it or anything like that. And presumably um, they, they had pretty good monitoring and, and, and saw a bunch of uh, like multiple accounts being accessed from similar locations and, and threw off some alarms. And it looks like I mean, they're basically a banking site anyway. So yeah. they probably have pretty serious regulations on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So. And, and that's good. They detected it which is good that they have that type of technology in place and they're able to do these types of things. So, yeah, but it does, you know, 
It, well, it looks uh, like PayPal gets the pat on the back here, but uh, the the thirty four thousand nine hundred and forty two folks who are reusing their passwords really need to rethink that. <laughs> they get the they get the shaky finger, yeah. Because this that's what I was going to say. Basically, is this really underscores? I mean, we've already said it like three times in this show. We say it every show. Um, if if you reuse a password, if you have a password that's just like a <laughs> word or a couple of words and a couple of numbers. You can guarantee most likely it's been breached. And if you're using that for all your accounts, you're gonna your accounts are going to get breached. And so you need to have a separate, different password for every account. And you need to turn on multi-factor for every account. I know we've already said both of those things today, but this just underlines how important that that is. And we, we can't keep ignoring it. We've I know that's a double negative, but mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like we, we can, we can ignore it no more. We need to really do that and be serious about that. All right. So I don't know how we missed this one, but I'm just going to mention it. Um, log me in and LastPass are related, right? And company wise, right? Mm -hmm. So now we have GoTo who is, uh, used to be log me in, um, is warning customers that threat actors, who breached its development environment in November of 2022, stole encrypted backups containing customer information and an encryption key for a portion of that data. Yikes. <laughs> so if I'm, I'm reading this correctly, you know, this is in addition to the last pat, like uh, yes. logging in yes. had their data in that same repository. Yes. Um, it's people, it's related to um, log me in central, log me in pro um so they, they got usernames passwords deployment and provisioning information scripts mfa information wow fixing information credit card information dude i don't know what the crap is going on over there at the log me in family of companies but this is bad right I mean, this, this yeah. might be a death kick right I, I like have they have they notified their customers? I mean, I mean, look, we're talking about a remote access tool here. We're not mm -hmm. talking about, <laughs> you know, a, a password manager. <laughs> you know uh, what I mean? In response, they have been resetting passwords for impacted customers. Oh, boy. And automatically migrating the accounts to their identity management platform. Hmm. Interesting. And this is fresh off, off the presses from this morning. I know. That's why I was, I was checking out a different article and I saw that. I was like, yikes. Well, there you go. Go to formally log me in is uh, a victim of a supply chain software breach. And that's the same thing that I mentioned earlier with the um, next gen. Um so same thing, SolarWinds, that's the concern, that they get some some kind of code or they get, you know, some information um, that helps them in a future breach. Yep. So we wanted to jump into a bigger discussion about ransomware um, here towards the end of our time together on the podcast today. And one of the articles that I guess kept coming up and that we wanted to talk about was these ransomware profits dropping 40% in 2022 as victims refuse to pay. And I guess just, you know, an overall um, 
discussion around kind of where we're at with ransomware in 2023 because um as i mentioned um it in the green room is that there you know are articles out there where there's lawyers and other people involved in um in cyber crime in different areas are kind of leaning towards the fact that you know ransomware is something that's going to start fading away here in the in the very near future so i guess the first question i'm going to ask is do you guys agree with that do we think ransomware um the heyday of ransomware is over and it's kind of fading away uh do you necessarily agree with some of the opinions around that because i personally do not i think it's just shifting we're going to be you know the the monetary value of these things is going to go from one thing to another so you know be it ransomware to uh, a shift to more business email compromise and just pull in the uh pulling the funds right out of your bank account without asking first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's interesting. Like there, there's a, a graph in here that, that goes over the last four years of, of percentages of, of who paid and who didn't pay. And 2019, 76% of people paid the ransom uh, and then steadily dropping to uh, 2022 where 41% paid. So that was the first year where less people paid than uh, um, did not pay. And some of the reasons that they they attributed to it is, is the victims are starting to realize that uh, paying the ransom doesn't guarantee that they're going to get their stuff back. I think a lot of this double dipping um, has also impacted things where you pay to get your data back, but then they send you a second ransom uh, to release that exfiltrated data. Uh, people are getting tired of that. Um, the public perception, was, this was the interesting one to me, with the public perception of ransomware, it's happening so much that it, that it doesn't tarnish your reputation as much anymore because people just expect this to happen. So people are just mm-hmm. numb to the effect. And so that's changing the way that organizations look at whether or not it's to their best interest to pay the ransom. Uh, and then it also says organizations are, are following better backup strategies so they're able to recover uh, better. So that seems to be where people may have placed most of their um, finances to combat this as opposed to security, just the the, the backup piece of it. Um, and then quite frankly, you know, once they've restored it and they can get their operations back up, you know, the fact that your information is out there is less of an issue to them because they're still able to operate. Yeah. Some of the new laws coming over the horizon deal more with customer information security than anything. Um, and I think ultimately, like you, like you said, it's a shifting game. Um, you can just follow the money. If they're going to be making less money on ransomware, they're going to figure out another way uh, to to make their money. Um, and you know, as we get as we get stricter laws about information security, they're going to figure out uh, customer inf- information security. You know, they're going to figure out another way to make to make money. Whether that's you know getting better at stealing money from bank accounts or you know using more. Uh, psychological operations, um, if you will, to twist people's arms, twist businesses' arms. I mean, um, you know, I don't see it any way, Brian, as this is some sign that the criminals are getting tired of it and, you know, we won and, you know, it's time to throw the after party. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that's the, that's what this article means at all. Yeah, I agree. They're going to think of something like blue screening your, your computer where you can't, you know, log in or something where you have to put in a long decryptor key and then from there, everything goes, all your information is still there, but they're gonna come up with something creative to, to still make money. Yeah, and, and again, we're not 
stating ransomware is going down. We're just stating the fact that companies seem less willing to pay um, when these ransomware events do happen. And we kind of talked about it in the green room as to, you know, why this is kind of becoming the thing. And, and one of the opinions that I heard was essentially that these companies don't really care about their customer data or it, it's kind of what we talked about earlier. It's already out there. So, um, you know, you're just kind of adding to some data that's probably already out there from some other breach. Um, and I just wonder if that's being a little short-sighted um, because you could absolutely have a lawsuit, if not a class action lawsuit brought against your company when these kinds of things get out. Um, and then depending on what the damages are to your victims, uh, those numbers could be pretty astronomical. Um, so I don't know if that's a smart play by businesses in the long term, in my opinion, because Paying the ransom may be the cheaper way out of it, and they, but they, in the heat of the moment, they just don't see that. They don't think like, or nobody's advising them possibly. Yeah. Like the attorneys are not advising these companies like, well, if you pay the ransom, you know, there's a chance it doesn't get out. But if it does get out, um, it's not a so what. And it seems like that might be the advice that they're getting or hearing is that it's a so what moment and you know so what if it gets out there well so what if you, you're going to get sued um there, you know there's there's lawyers actively looking for data breaches to go file class action lawsuits that your company has to defend regardless of you know and and they're you know no they're no better than ambulance chasers they they don't they work for free up front for a big payout once they can prove their case against your company and that's assuming that they seek out advice in the first place. I mean, a lot of the people that I've talked to that have had incidents, uh, by the time that they've gotten to me, they've tried and, and listened to advice from their buddies and their friends for like three days before they actually figured out that they had no idea what they're doing. So how many people might just take that advice and pay the ransom or just, you know, have, uh, you know, their, their cousin's nephew's friend who knows about computers wipe and reload all their computers and, and not actually take any proper steps or actions. Yeah, there does become a point in time in the incident response where ego needs to be removed mm -hmm. and you just have to look at the dollars and cents of the situation. But you have to look at it in the sense that I laid it out where you could potentially be sued down the road. So, you know, being stubborn and having principles around, well, we're not going to pay these criminals. That could be a decision that costs you dearly in the long run, as we're finding out with a lot of CEOs and you know, I, I know a couple school districts where the uh, superintendents are in hot water well after the event um, because it takes a while for these things to flush out. Um, so that being said, uh, is there anything else you guys want to add to uh, that discussion? Because I, I want to go into a couple questions about ransomware and where we think things are at. Um, we good? Shoot. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I threw up there was, you know, this, like, and I, I guess I want to talk about this in, in terms of maybe ransomware and business email compromise, because I look at those two things as equal in terms of the threat that they pose to businesses. But um, 
in terms of ransomware and business email compromise, you know, the article I shared with you guys from my tech decisions said that there's basically three departments that are targeted by ransomware criminals. And the first and top one being the marketing department. Um, they are the easiest targets for cyber criminals um, because they're the forward-facing voice of the company. They're probably the ones with access to the social media accounts, the email address that's uh, advertised on the website. Um, so, and they kind of prey on the fact that these groups of people in your organization aren't very cyber aware um, and makes them an easy target or the low hanging fruit in your organization. Um, and then it moves on to the C-suite being the next, obviously they're the juiciest. Um, and then the IT department, obviously, because they have, you know, the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, in most cases. Um, so interestingly enough, like, what do you guys, what do you guys think about like those, those three, the way that they laid this out? Because I think this is spot on. I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree. So you know, your marketing folks, you know, they're just thinking who, who cares if somebody hacks in and gets access to, you know, our marketing copy, yeah. not realizing that that information can be used to make those really good looking phishing scams that are out there that we're seeing. Uh, C-suite traditionally um, is, is one of those ones where the rules don't apply to us. So like, I, I don't want MFA because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm too good for that. And that's that's an extra step and I need to be moving fast. So they have access to a lot of things uh, and tend to think that the rules don't don't apply to them, which uh, if you're in cybersecurity, you need to be able to, <laughs> to take a stand and, and make sure that you educate those C-suite folks on how important this stuff is for everybody. Uh, and then the IT department, probably going to be the hardest one to get into in most cases, in theory. Uh, but uh, has the juiciest access to uh, to everything uh, that that's, that you can find. That, you know, that's the treasure trove. So, <clears throat> yeah, and then, you know, the interesting thing with with the marketing department is, you know, we like to pick on them, right? Because yes, or at least I do when I talk about breaches, because it's crazy to think that like somebody from the marketing department could click on something and take down your operation. That's why we talk about, you know, segregation and making sure that we're evaluating who has access to what all the time. That's why things like this matter. Um, but we we not too long ago had an issue with a person at a, at a company who worked in marketing um, and we detected some suspicious logins on their Office 365 um, from some somewhere in the world um, that's not their normal location. So we followed up on it. The company told us that this person was, in fact, you know, out of the country what they forgot to tell us or what they were confused about is, is that the person was out of the country about a week and a half ago. <laughs> they were back in the country when this event was occurring. Mm -hmm. um, so thankfully we did not take it <coughs> uh, We took it with a grain of salt and we mm -hmm. continued to investigate. Um, and, you know, long story short, this individual was getting MFA requests on their phone and blindly approving them. Um, and, and the request was from the same country they just happened to come back from? Uh, close. Gotcha. Close. Well, they didn't know, but they didn't know where, where the, 
you know, we knew, right? Because we had the telemetry of yeah. where the login was coming from. They were just clicking. They just had a thing come up on their phone saying, you know, re request access. And they were unaware that they shouldn't do that. And they were just clicking yes. I guess they were assuming that their phone was like prompting them or something like that because mm -hmm. they have email on their that's, phone. Yeah, that's the risk with that type of the MFA prompt is, is people always assume, oh, well, it must be my computer at home is trying to connect in. So I'm just right. going to hit OK. Right. Well, it's important if you do have that on to have that that uh, number response as well. So you can't just hit yes. 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 And what Ryan's talking about there is instead of being allowed to just press a approve button or a yes button to allow mm -hmm. the two factor, you actually have to like type something in like a code into the screen. Um, and I think all of us agree that that's a way more secure way to do it mm -hmm. um, and, and less likely to be a victim of what we call MFA fatigue, which is where <clears throat> you just get prompted, uh, you know, for random reasons for MFA and hackers, you know, that's part of the scan. That's how they get around MFA is they hope you just approve what pops up on your screen. And, and psychologically, it's very effective. I mean, e even for folks like us who know that that's the case, like, the first thing, you know, the first uh, you know impression in the back of your head when you get that is, oh, well, what what of mine could be trying to access kind of that kind of stuff. So you're, you're still your natural reaction is this has got to be something that's legit. It, it you know, it's, it's a lot less likely of a percentage that it's going to be something that's not. But uh, usually that's not how it ends up working out. Great, man. Um, I was going to add a comment on these first two uh, categories because, you know, your C-level people. A lot of your C-level people are leaders, and we hear a lot of leaders push back on trying to put, you know, process control, elevation monitoring and control and things like that on their computer. Basically, keeps them from doing whatever they want to do on their computer. And since they're a lion type of leader, that's a, you know, the, a lion leader, you know, they, they, they lead. Um, they just want the, the two sentences to sum things up, not the details. They just want to get things done. And a lot of times we get pushback from from leaders. You know, um, they don't want their processes to be controlled. You know, they don't want to have to get approval to be an admin. They want admin rights and they want to do everything. And that puts them high at risk. And, and then I was going to make a comment on the on the marketing people. A lot of marketing people that I know, I know two main categories. One, the people that are kind of, your people that are non-techie, they're very sales, like gregarious. I know marketing and sales are two different things. Uh, gregarious, that word where, you know, they that, 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 that personality trait where they love being around people and all that. Sometimes people like that aren't super technological, um, you know, whereas maybe sometimes more your introvert types are more technological. And then sometimes in marketing, it does require a certain amount of of a high tech kind of person to do the funnels and this and that. I know I'm getting off into the weeds a little bit here, but maybe they have a sense of false confidence. You know, Hey, I'm pretty techie. I can put together a funnel and, you know, build it out in my CRM and, you know, connect it to websites and do all this stuff. And maybe they have a false sense of uh, confidence. So both these categories I can see is yeah. Being, being uh, pretty high risk from, um, from this standpoint. So. Yeah, it's wild. So, I mean, I personally don't think, again, this is kind of goes back to a number one, the cat and mouse game. Um, I think 
cyber criminals are being uh, a lot more specific about who they attack and how they attack them. That's part of the reason why you see the drop in ransomware. If you, you know, if you look at it, I don't think ransomware is in any way, shape or form in the beginning stages of coming to an end. Um, people like to talk about like things like Bitcoin going away because, um, you know, it, it's in the gutter in terms of its value, but now we see it going back up and, you know, <laughs> um, as that goes back up, I guarantee you ransomware attacks will go back up. I mean, think about it. If their main form of payment is Bitcoin and Bitcoin is down or in the gutter right now, it, that's where I believe the trend is. The trend is, is Bitcoin went down. So ransom attack where, where ransomware attacks go down. These guys are willing to wait. If they have access to your network and you can't detect them, they'll wait until it jumps back up another 20% and then they'll attack. And then, and then their efforts are worth a lot more. Um, sure. They could grab the Bitcoin now and, and hold it, but they got to move that Bitcoin around a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's not traced. Um, and They'd probably rather do that when it's more valuable than than less valuable, especially if they have to convert it to fiat along the way. So I'm going to wrap up the show here, guys, with something that we talked about, and I don't think I see it in the uh, – in the uh, maybe we do. Yeah, it's, in the, it's the last one there. But this hacker, man, wow, found the uh, U.S. or an old version of the U.S. no-fly list left exposed on the web. Um, and he was able to do this using the uh, famous uh, search engine Shodan, which basically, you know, finds exposed servers and computers and things like that uh, on the Internet. And if you're a savvy individual, you can use their search engine to figure out different things about different systems that are out there on the Internet. And this guy was able to... Um, Basically, hack into a, I believe it was a Swiss based, yeah, Switzerland. Well, he was a Switzerland resident. Um, I forget, trying to get the name of the uh, commuter air, it's a regional airline. uh, And he was able to basically hack a what's a a Jenkins server, um, which has known vulnerabilities. um, And when the that particular server that's exposed to the internet was was compromised they were able to move laterally and access uh information on a production system that held sensitive information including an older version of a u.s no-fly list um i guess my reaction to this is not surprised um but yeah i mean this is like there are companies out there that are just like commute air that just you know, have things exposed to the internet where somebody, you know, some script kitty, as Randy likes to say, could, could jump on and uh, <laughs> search for these servers and start doing damage, right? Start looking for things to hack. I mean, Jesus, uh, we're not too far away from people using Shodan and ChatGTP to wreck people's day. Yep. Right. In a right. very quick, you know, yep. easy. And, and how often lately have we seen that these attacks? Are, you know, it, it involves a third party custodian of that information. So yeah. like in this case, it's not the TSA that was hacked, but it was the no fly list that the TSA has that was on, you know, the, the commuter air 
uh, database. So. so you would think that they would look, I mean, I, my first reaction to that, Ryan, is simple, like TSA, why are you making this list like downloadable so it can be put on another right. system? You know what I mean? Like this should be yeah. something that you got to have access to that you're two factored into and you're basically timed out after five minutes of inactivity. I mean, mm -hmm. and you should only be able to access the one person you're trying to test. Yeah. Not, not everybody known. <laughs> right. 1.5 million records. Yes. Unencrypted basically mm -hmm. because you passed it off to a third party who didn't take care of it without any type of requirements or, or, you know, analysis to, to ensure right. that they can protect that data. Right. And the lesson learned here is right. simple. It's like, if you, you might be doing all the right things, but if you pass data off to a vendor and they're not doing all the right things, you don't think commute error is going to be dragged into some kind of issue. You don't think the TSA is like, probably investigating them well, or what like, needs to be you know you need to have consequences right so so maybe yeah. you know you know obviously you need to be able to verify the no-fly list in order to operate as a commercial airline maybe they lose their licensing to operate as a commercial airline because well, they can't. i mean i although commuter air being a regional airline i would imagine that they're not flying in the u.s territories or european airline but the fact that a european airline can hack and get the u.s no-fly list mm -hmm. is really odd to me it just seems like there's a whole lot of things going wrong there that could be prevented if if we really think about it. Yeah. Uh, like it, that list shouldn't be duplicated somewhere okay. else in the world. Well, um, commute, commute Air is based out of Ohio. Oh, they are? So, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought they were European. No? So they're, they're U.S. based. Yeah. The, so hacker, the hacker, hacker was, was European, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was, the hacker was from Switzerland. I says also a cybersecurity researcher. See, I mi I misunderstood the article then. I didn't realize Actually, he's on the no fly list now. <laughs> <laughs> he's on in, in the no fly list. <laughs> in another article, it, um, the hacker told the Washington Times that they could have canceled and delayed flights and developed physical credentials for airline employees. So they have access to way more things than just that. No oh, and, and that's an even bigger deal, probably, is, is yeah. being able to. to make those credentials right I mean, the bottom line is, is that they plane. had a vulnerable system exposed yeah. to the internet i mean and how many times do we see vulnerable systems exposing internet microsoft exchange i mean fortinet firewalls are being exploited left and right right now because people are not patching these devices and they're leaving them exposed to the internet i gotta have a call with a, with a camera company uh early next week because we're telling our client we got to you know, get this off your main network and move this to a segregated network because it's insecure Chinese crap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now the camera guy's taking issue with it and I got to have a meeting with him and explain to him why this is a vulnerability for this company um, because he doesn't think it is. I'm like, just Google Hick Vision vulnerability. and you, you oh, know, yeah. there. I that, mean, that, that won't take you very long to figure that no. out. Yeah. And Most exactly. of them have the default one, two, three, four password or ABC one, two, three, four. It, it might, Randy, for all for all we know. Or or they or maybe that's the, gonna be the conversation. He's gonna tell me he changed the password. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be like, yeah, I don't care. But but then the difficult thing in those scenarios is, is that the the customer tends to want to push back as well. They're like, Well, I just want to get this done, so let them do it. And and they, they keep going back to that easiest path, not realizing that. Right. That opens them up. Well, and the, like your like your camera person, I mean, that's their one focus in life, probably, and they're not going to see it the way you see it because mm -hmm. they're just want to they want to get stuff done and they know it works. 
right. um, back to this um, to this article, though, I think that we really need to be holding the TSA, the TSA's feet figuratively to the fire, if you will, on this, because what in the heck is a regional air company doing with all this stuff like the fly list? The no fly list should not be published just as some random thing. I mean, they like I said, they should have some kind of authentication. And then and then, like you said, and then they should be able to get, OK, is Randy Bryan on the no fly list and then mm-hmm. get back a yes or no? It mm-hmm. shouldn't be like, you know, logging in and, oh, here's the list, one million. Right. And then now you search it on your <laughs> own. And then the fact that they were able to get a hold of other information, I mean, to me, that all goes back on the TSA. They need a better interface to interact with, you know, their customers, if you will, which are all these regional airports. You know, now the other the other question, too, does that make it easier or harder depending on those smaller airlines? But because it seems like it would still be easier for the smaller airlines because they wouldn't have to have any infrastructure if they're just connecting in to get the information they need when they need it. But then if that's the case, then all of these airlines probably have copies of the no fly list sitting on their servers. You're probably so- right. I mean, we've all flown in the last uh, quarter. You hand your driver's license. They put it on a scanner and it comes back on their screen, not on no fly list. You're good to go through. I mean, so, so all these little regional airlines and re- not re- airlines so much, but the regional airports or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, they need a scanner like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. They probably this, they say this is from nineteen, uh, what twenty nineteen. So maybe, you know, maybe since then they've been given access. I don't know. This is just I don't know. It's not good. That's for sure. Wow, you could use this for for hacking, like to your advantage. A hacker could mm-hmm. um, huge, huge. Yep. So ransomware might might be going away, but. We got all these other problems. There's plenty of other attack vectors and some that we we don't. Ransomware is really not going away. That's just, you know, it's not going anywhere. It's it's just dropping down the leaderboard a little bit. No, I I don't think it is. I just think, again, we're in those lulls. It goes up and down, right? It goes up and down, right? And and until the next big one, that's what we're going to be saying. And then the big one's going to happen. And and so, so ransomware payments have gone down, but but if you look at the historicals uh, in 2020, they went up more like tenfold. So yeah, they're down a little bit, but they're still at, at record levels over the last few years. So, Good point. All right, guys. Thanks for the insight. I think that's a wrap up the show here, and we'll see everyone next week. Take care. See you later. All right. Bye-bye.